Hey, Skaters fans, Ryan Posner here. On today's episode of Down in Sugarland, my co-host Brandon and I will discuss the AL West. We'll give some division predictions. We'll check back in on Astros Spring Training, an interview with Astros TV color commentator Jeff Blum, and we're going to close it out with Tales from the Control Room. Hit the track. Looking to relocate? Then contact Nick DeRose for any of your real estate needs in the Dallas Metroplex area. For more information, give them a call at 469-283-8360. DeRose Dallas Realty. Cowboy by nature. Agent by trade. All right, fellas. We are inching closer to opening day here in early April. And uh, let's just do some stereotypical standings talk. And uh, I like to go to Bacota. It's a baseball fan graphs, uh, a baseball prospectus, rather, a little tool that uses a lot of different sabermetric stats to make predictions on divisions, player stats, and whatnot. And AL West, Brandon, in particular, we, I want to go there, and we'll start from the bottom. The Rangers, they're projected to finish fifth. Seattle, they're in fourth. Oakland and th at third, 81 and 80. The Los Angeles Angels are projected to finish 86 and 76. And then your Houston Astros, 91 and 70 per Pakoda. That is where they reject the Astros to finish. And actually, that's per the per if you're a big Pakoda believer, that is the second most wins in the American League, only behind the New York Yankees. Brandon, what are your uh, initial thoughts when I'm telling you that? Well, let's start from the bottom and work the way up. Rangers, I mean, they finished last last year in 2021, and it's not looking much better in 2021 for them either. Or my apologies, they finished last year in 2020. It's not looking much better in 2021. Uh, their main guy going forward is Joey Gallo. And, I mean, Joey had a terrible season last year, if you really look at his numbers overall. They've got some good pitching prospects coming up. Um, but other than that, it's looking pretty bleak for the Rangers. I don't have much high hopes for them. They're a young team. I mean, they, you alluded to the young pitching. I mean, they, they traded Lance Lynn in the offseason, who was their ace last year. They got a, a guy in Dane Dunning from the White Sox, who I, I think is actually going to be a stud going down the road. A lot of their, a lot of their pitching is very young. Um, and you, you touched on Joey Gallo. I mean, he's a guy who, if they fall out of contention early, which is obviously what a lot of people are expecting, he might be trade bait. Um, they made a couple, you can call them, I guess, maybe savvy moves. I think getting David Dahl from the Rockies was a nice little move for them. And they traded away pretty much the centerpiece of their organization, Elvis Andrews, for Chris Davis. And we'll see how that works out. They're going to be a team that scores runs, but the pitching staff is what's going to be their Achilles heel. If they don't get any pitching, that you're right. We're probably going to be able to write them off pretty soon. Yeah, they're they're a young team uh, in a new ballpark. Uh, they'll be the first time they play in front of fans here, and they've actually opened up their entire ballpark opening day. That'll be a, a weird aesthetic to see after all of last year. Um, but yeah, I mean they're a young team. Leody Tavares in center field is an interesting player. Actually, the nephew of uh, Willie Tavares, former Astro, actually former Skeeter too. But a team you're probably not going to have to worry too much about in the standings. And we go up. One more and another team that you're really is really f pretty far off in the periphery, and that's the Seattle Mariners. However, I will say the Seattle Mariners have some prospects coming up the pipeline that you're going to know a lot about here in the coming years. But as far as this year goes, they're a team that, you know, if they finish in third place, I I'd imagine that's probably where they'd peak, right? It's just interesting because they have good young talent, like you mentioned. And if it can start to be ahead of schedule, they could be one of those teams that comes out of nowhere. I mean, they, they had the rookie of the year in Kyle Lewis, who's probably a breakout star by the way he's playing. Young pitching prospects and Justin Dunn and uh, Sheffield as well, but they need a little bit more playing time. Uh, the bullpen, that's going to be their biggest issue. Um, they have a couple of names in uh, Munoz and Rafael Montero, 
But if they don't, if the bullpen struggles, then they're not going anywhere. But if they can get some legit pitching and the young stars can develop, I, making a wild card isn't really out of the question. And I mean, they haven't been in the playoffs since 2001. So it's time. Yeah. And then they have a, a farm system that's universally ranked in as a top five system. I mean, whether you go to Baseball America, MLB.com, I mean, and the reason for that is they have two elite level prospects in Jared Kalenic and the outfield and Julio Rodriguez. Those are, those are two guys who are projected to be not just all stars, but like, you know, elite level talents, MVP contenders, and they've got a lot of good pitchers coming up the pipeline. So this year, kind of like the Rangers, again, you're not expecting a lot out of them, but if they, you know, you're going to probably see Klenick as a, as a midseason call up for the first time. And he's a guy that, you know, he could be, you know, another, another Mike Trout in this division. No, but I expect them to be better than the Rangers though. Like, I think there will be a significant gap between fifth place, fourth, third, and second, et cetera. I, it I, could be. And, yeah, yeah, you touched on some of their younger guys. Too. I mean, they got a guy in Ty France that they picked up for Austin Oil last year. I think he's going to be a, a stud for them. Mitch Haniger, he's been a proven talent, a, a former All-Star. And J.P. Crawford, good, good, great shortstop, too. Kyle Seager, we know he's been around for a while. So, interesting, interesting to see where they might finish up here. I think the real interesting aspect of the division is going to be three through one. Who do they have third? So, Pakoda at third has Oakland, which, I mean, for, you know, the o- Oakland's their roster's never gonna just scream to you like yeah division winner and they, it never has it but last year they were there the incumbent AL West champions and they did not lose a ton off their roster from last year and I I know you're thinking well they lost Marcus Semien it's like yes but Marcus Semien actually had a kind of a down year last year and they still ran away with the division um, and they replaced him with Elvis Andrews who he's a guy who's definitely hitting the kind of the the, the sunset of his career but that is not a bad veteran stopgap at shortstop right there. They're an interesting team. They're somebody that got hot real early in 2020 and then kind of faded off pretty fast. The hot start is definitely the reason why they won the division. I think if it's a full season, I I think the Astros would have surpassed them later on in a a deeper run. But you're right. They lost Simeon, but and also reliever Liam Hendricks. That's going to really hurt in the bullpen. But other than that, I mean, they still have a solid outfield in Chapman and Olsen as well. They can hit. That's the big thing about the team. But the one thing with the A's, and this has probably been forever at this point, is consistency. It, when they're pitching and hitting, they're like one of the best teams in baseball, but who isn't? But the problem is, is they go on these really hot streaks and then long, cold stretches. I mean, look at last season for any more evidence. Yeah, and, they, and you talked about the bullpen. They did lose Liam Hendricks, who, I mean, I think everyone would agree was the top prize as far as a relief pitcher on the market uh, this year. But then they got Trevor Rosenthal, who was another big name out there on the market, and they got Sergio Romo. Um, also brought back Yusmero Petit. I mean, again, like these are it's such an A's offseason. They didn't get guys that you're like screaming like your your fans are not going to go crazy about Yusmero Petit. However, that's a guy that's going to probably give you about one to two wins, even wins above replacement, and it is a, a kind of an anchor there in the bullpen. And I think some of their stars, Matt Olson and Matt Chapman, are super underrated. I mean, whether it's because they play on the West Coast or they play for probably the least notable team on the West Coast, the A's. Those guys are, are guys, if they played maybe on the East Coast or played for a team that was contending, you'd be hearing them in MVP talks. I think the A's are a bigger threat than the Angels, yeah, which they have rated at second, right? Yeah, let's go Let's go right to the Angels. And I mean, I think the reason the Angels, they're they're a team, they're kind of a, a darling in terms of sabermetrics because of the guys on their team. But every year you look at their roster, you're like, man, they have Anthony Rendon and Mike Trout who routinely finish top five in war each year. But... For some reason, Mike Trout, we're still talking, is the same argument we've had every year. He's not in the playoffs again. And now an interesting uh, wrinkle kind of in this year, too, is Shohei Otano. He hit 100 miles per hour over the weekend. 
He's looking like he's going to be a two-way threat this year. That could actually maybe be – that could be the, the linchpin, the difference maker for them. Trout, Rendon, David Fletcher, I mean, big names, and, and it just really propels the lineup. They also have a deadly one-two punch at the top of their starting rotation and for pitching in uh, Bundy and Haney. And, but the rest of the rotation, and they got a lot of holes, and their bullpen isn't really that solidified. In fact, I would say that's kind of the Achilles West for – or the Achilles West. The Achilles heels for the entire AL West division is – Bullpens. Is that Keely West, the former Cincinnati <laughs> Bengals quarterback? Going, though, going from the top rope, I love that right there. Um, yeah, right. First, hopefully a big fan of the show. Uh, <laughs> but no, that's going to be the one thing that's really going to hurt them. I, and it's been the story as, as old as time, like you said, with Trout. Yeah. He's somebody that's the best in the league, but then just doesn't make it to October ever. I, I think the A's have a stronger case for finishing second in the division than the Angels do. I mean, I think they do as well, only because they've proven over time that they'll, they'll do, they'll perform more than what their talent tells you they will. And the Angels do the exact opposite. You see these big names and they even got, I mean, they have Justin Upton. I mean, Albert Pujols, obviously very much for the end of his career. Dexter Fowler, another player they traded for. I, I don't know. Maybe this is the year. Their rotation, they don't have like a, a big name there, but they've done a nice job of keeping it even. They added Jose Quintana, a guy, a name, a former all-star um, Alex Cobb, another guy, and they'll probably go to a six-man rotation because of Shohei Otani. That's what the plan was when they initially acquired him. So, and, and the, at closer, they got Rizal Iglesias from the uh, the uh, Cincinnati Reds. And I mean, not an elite level closer, but a guy who maybe gets you a two-something ERA, maybe thirty-five saves. Well, you also can't dump the new manager Joe Madden. I mean, yeah. he's he's proven to be a winner everywhere he goes. I mean, he broke the curse with the Cubs, and he brought the Rays to their first World Series appearance. I think if you're going to have a guy who's quirky and is going to mix it up, he's very much needed. But that brings us to the big dogs. And it's no surprise, and we're not being homers by just saying the Astros are going to win the division. But what kind of makes you think that we'll complete it, Ryan? Well, I mean, they're projected for 91 wins. And that's a sabermetric stat from uh, baseball perspectives in Makota. And I think it's you back it up with the fact that guys like Alex Bregman and Jose Altuve, one has won an MVP, the other is a perennial MVP candidate in Bregman. They had pretty down years last year. Um, you didn't have Verlander for pretty, uh, for pretty much the entire year. You're going to probably maybe get him back at some point. I mean, they're a team that underperformed a lot last year. They were relying on guys like Frambert Valdez, who had never pitched above double A, and all of a sudden Valdez is starting important games in the playoffs. And I think that's kind of what you look at. You, you mentioned, I, I believe it was with uh, the A's, where you saw they, they might have fell off at the end of the year. I think the Astros would have – peaked at the at, toward the end of the year because you, those young guys were just getting their feet wet in the majors and you know they added Michael Brantley or they re-signed Michael Brantley that's that's huge I think the the only real question mark on their team when you look at their starting nine is their center fielder Miles Straw um, I think he's kind of the difference maker maybe whether an 88 win team or a 95 win team I think Straw is somebody that's ready to break out, though. I mean, he's so unbelievably elite fast. If you can get him on the base paths, especially with these Astros hitters, he's going to score a ton of runs. Yeah. I, I, I'm with you on that. I think the Astros have better hitting than everybody else in the division, and that's what's going to propel them to the top. And I also got to think that what McCuller said during after a uh, outing against the Nationals, he even said that we've created a culture here where you're expected to win. And I think that is pretty much true at this point. These guys winning the 2017 World Series, the core's pretty much intact without Springer. That's a huge loss. Major loss, yeah. But I, I think you have enough untapped talent right now that I know a lot of, they're looking at the prospects and we may, may not be rated that high. 
I, I think that we're going to have those guys being playing on our team, and they're going to surprise everybody. And it's it's starting to show in spring training. And you mentioned Joe Madden being a winning manager. I mean, Dusty Baker, I, I would put not maybe not in that that same breath, but he's he's right there. I mean, I know he has never won a World Series, but he's pretty. I mean, he's a guy that I, I consider one of the better managers in the game. And look at the rotation. I mean, they've lost Fran Valdez to a finger injury. Still no clarification on when he comes back, but. You had Jake Odorizzi, who was an all-star in 2019. I mean, that is a, an, a major pickup, a good young bullpen. Uh, they added Ryan Stanek and Pedro Baez, and I think they're going to have uh, – I think 91 wins is a pretty solid projection for them. Well, um, I mean, either way, the AOS is going to be interesting. I think those top three teams, Brandon, like we were talking about, it's going to be a tight race. When we come back, Brandon and I are going to check in on the latest from Port St. Lucie and what's going on in Astros camp. You're listening to Down in Strickland. Baseball is back at Constellation Field, and full-season ticket deposits are now available. May 20th is just around the corner, and you won't want to miss exciting baseball this summer as the Skeeters enter their first season as the AAA affiliate of the Houston Astros. For more information, visit SugarlandSkeeters.com and be one of the first to reserve a seat. All right, Brandon, we're getting to the last couple weeks here, the final sprint, if you will, in spring training. And, uh, man, it's just making me want to see some real live baseball, Major League Baseball coming in April 1st, opening day. And as we check into Astros camp here, there's not a whole lot to be answered. They've got a pretty complete roster as it is, but the leadoff spot seems to be one of those things that's getting a lot of uh, a lot of talking about here as, you know, they got some options. You got your Jose Altuve's, your Miles Straws, your Carlos Correa's, and it looks like it could be Altuve. I mean, and uh, you know, you're, he's arguably your best hitter. What do, you, do you hate that or love that Altuve might be bad in leadoff? I think it's really interesting. They're trying to find somebody to replace Springer's pop. Because the best thing about Springer is he would lead off and you could start the game one nothing real quick, one pitch. I think Altuve has the opportunity to provide that same kind of pop of the bat. But he's probably a better contact hitter, can drive the ball on the ground in between the gaps, more so than Correa would be. I know Correa was kind of a hot pick to replace that power at the top of the lineup for Springer. I think Altuve will be a nice fit there. My dark horse, actually, is Kyle Tucker. I think somebody he might climb the ladder and be able to hit that leadoff spot just because of his great speed as well. Miles Straw, another name you might see as well. But I expect Straw to probably slot in that ninth hole where is known as the second leadoff hitter. And talk about, wow, incredible. If you can get his speed on base and then you have Altuve leading at the top of the lineup, that's a really wise play that I think they can kind of mess around with a little bit. So I, I love it. Yeah, Kyle Tucker. I haven't really heard his name kicked around, and it's kind of confusing because I actually I do like that a little bit. I like the idea of maybe Tucker batting leadoff, and I think lineup construction gets a little too much played. In my opinion, I'm I'm more of a guy like, hey man, just bat your best hitters towards the top of the lineup. Maybe you're not so best hitters towards the bottom. Put guys like Jordan Alvarez in the middle where they're going to have chances to drive them in. Um, but I mean, Altuve is a guy who I mean, if I hate or love it, I would I would probably put more towards love it. I, I think getting him more at bats. Doesn't hurt your cause. I would probably hate it more if it was Miles Straw batting leadoff because I think he's a guy who hasn't put up great on base numbers in his career. Um, the speed is 80 grade. I mean, he's got some of the best speed in baseball, but he's a guy maybe you don't want him to have to come up and have get more at bats than a guy like Correa or Tuve. Well, Straw has had a great spring training, and you also have to think about he's been an on-base machine for this spring training, and you have to think about the teams that we're playing as well. We only play four teams because of COVID. The Mets, the Nationals, the Marlins, and the Cardinals. And when you think about those teams and who they're facing from pitching, Strasburg, Max Scherzer, DeGrom, and even future stars like Sixto Sanchez from the Marlins, and he's been somebody who's been getting on base against those guys. 
I think could translate nicely in the regular season where he's not seeing some of the best arms in baseball. I And I think Straw could be a very interesting pick. I understand what you mean. His bat still needs to come around, but I don't think people understand how fast this guy is. Yeah, I mean, he, he really does have if, – if just go by the speed tool. He's a top five player in Major League Baseball, I think. And uh, I, mean, I think one of the – maybe the underrated facts – Brandon, you're talking about Miles Straw. Is that there was the, a big worry, like who will take over the center field spot? And it looks like he's kind of squelched and he maybe like doubt about. I mean, obviously, you already alluded to Springer's being a, pretty big shoes to fill, but I think he's pretty much made it his job. Like he is the center fielder going to opening day. Now we're back to the lineup is a different story. There, there are some other jobs though that are on the line. One of them that's not on the line anymore is opening day starter, and that's going to go to Zach Grinky. Which another one, I don't think there was a lot of <laughs> a lot of indecision about that and also Grinky responded to it like you would think Zach Grinky would he said I don't really care that's a very Zach Grinky-esque response but it is his fifth opening day start he had a few with the Royals uh, Diamondbacks and now with the Astros and I think that's a no-brainer you and I've talked a lot of off air and we've kind of both alluded to the fact that opening day starter a little bit overrated in a 162 game season you know it's one of those that it's just fun for the W I think it's more of a mental thing than anything but Ceremonious. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. It's a badge of honor type of deal. Grinky was the no doubter. I mean, if you're talking about Verlander being healthy, you're going to mix up that probably a little bit more. But he's, I mean, solid starter. I mean, he's going to give the Astros a fantastic chance to start the season 1-0. and I like that play a lot in terms of leading him off, but you and I kind of are leading to it. It was just a no doubter about it. Yeah, I mean, and, and you hit the nail on the head there. I mean, the only question you may have had is, I guess, if, Verlander's healthy, but I mean, I think what's more, more interesting is how it rounds out. I mean, McCullers Jr., uh, Jose, Jose Urquidy, uh, Christian Javier, and it doesn't look like Jake Odorizzi is going to make the opening day raw. He might make the opening day raw, but he's not going to make the first turn, at least in the rotation. It looks like more of a mid-April uh, slot for him, but that's your rotation right there. You got Grinky, McCullers, Urquidy, Javier, and then uh, Jake Odorizzi, and then fingers crossed on Framber Valdez. Haven't really got any update on him yet, but that, uh, that, that also is another guy you got to keep an eye on. I, I mean, Obviously, the the addition of Odorizzi doesn't make it look like he might be back anytime real soon, but you're also keeping your fingers crossed. And McCullers, wow, what a spring training that guy's been having. He looks lights out. He's somebody that is probably going to have a really scary season in terms of just dominating on the mound if he's looked as solid this early. And you also alluded to Javier. I think he's somebody that could surprise people. Christian Javier is a gigantic broad shoulder right-hander. I mean, he is a massive amount of a man, smooth mechanics. He's got a deceptive way he hides the baseball in his release. Think kind of like a Pedro Martinez. So that kind of two-seamer out of his hands just explodes. The only thing Javier really needs to work on that he's been trying in spring training is keeping the ball down. He will tail to elevate that baseball a little bit, but he's got the speed as well if he keeps that ball and he's able to climb the ladder. He's got good heat coming off that hand as well. Yeah, I mean, he he rose to the occasion big time last year. He's a guy that probably would have started with Corpus Christi last year, realistically. And and not only did he get to the majors, he became a, a valuable contributor at the major league level. Um, Jose Urquidy, Astros fans know him obviously very well, was a, was a big time contributor to the 2019 World Series campaign. Um, I mean, moving to the bullpen, another one that it looks like most of those spots are locked up. There's some... Question in the back end, Andre Scrub uh, left a game last week, but it looks like Andre Scrub actually avoided the worst of what it looked like. He came off and it looked pretty bad, but um, no word on his status yet, but they're, we're, they're hoping it's not going to be anything too serious. Um, if that's the case, if he ends up missing the beginning of the year, that seems like it really does open up a spot for Steve Ciszek to open with the team, and that's a nice veteran presence. A nice guy, too, where 
um, can go down. He changes the arm angle. Obviously, he's, he, I wouldn't call him like a sidewinder, but he's kind of like almost like a three-quarter-ish between sidewinder and that in that range. A nice guy to have there. And it could mean that uh, Luis Garcia ends up starting with the big club um, as a reliever, kind of a long man um, as well. Well, I mean, last year in 2020, it was the first year ever that the fastball usage was under 50% as a league. It's been hovering around 50% for the past couple of years, but that ta- that goes to show you how baseball's changed. It's always get ahead with the fastball, then hit them off with the breaking speed. But that's not the case anymore with these guys. And you highlighted them, Steve Ciszek. He, with that crazy arm motion, he's been a big league pitcher. He was with the Cubs, he was with the Reds, and he's somebody that has great release point. The only problem with the sidearm, guard, with the sidearm kind of guy when they leave him flat, man, you can tee oh, off. Yeah. But when they're on, untouchable. And he's going to be somebody that will really get, look good as well. And Anoli, uh, Anoli Paredes, he's somebody that was probably slated to pitch with us, but is now showing yeah. an amazing spring training that he's never I going think, back. <laughs> yeah, I think he's booked himself moving up to the to the majors, and he's going to solidify himself there. I mean, talk about an explosive right hander. He moves around a lot on that mound. I mean, he's a max effort guy, electric fastball. Uh, I mean, he just he does give up a lot of contact to hitters, but when he's on, I mean, like you said, he, he's never coming back. Yeah, I mean, and we'll hear from Jeff Blum here in a minute, and he was he's big on it. Only Paredes as well, and. Um, I mean, they, they added Pedro Baez, and that, that actually is another interesting storyline, too, is he was diagnosed with COVID-19, so um, they're ramping him back up. He may not start the season on uh, with the big club, so that could open up another spot. Um, and also Brandon Belak, another guy to kind of keep an eye on. He's He was a guy you maybe kind of slated in as maybe the opening day starter for the Skeeters, but because of injuries and because of uh, Odorizzi ramping himself up, he might actually be a guy that is that number five starter, at least for the first turn. Absolutely. Now... Moving from pitching to some of the hitters that I'm excited about, Pedro Leon. I mean, just because he is a 22-year-old from Cuba. I mean, we signed him for a $4 million in the offseason. Uh, he's probably going to start in A Corpus, but there's not much footage on him. Because he's a kid from Cuba, we're really seeing him for the first time in spring training as we're watching him. Uh, he's not like a gigantic in stature kind of guy. But my lord, when he makes contact with the ball, he hits like he's the size of Aaron Judge. He plays shortstop, outfield, cannon for an arm, great speed on the base paths. He's somebody that I'm the most excited for going forward as an Astros fan. I don't think you're alone in that, Brandon, because there he is. He I think there's a lot of buzz around him for that reason you mentioned. It's kind of a almost like a Pandora's box with him, and there's not a lot of footage on him. He he did start um, on Monday in a in a B game at shortstop. I mean, the idea of him, he, I think. A lot of fans envision him as the George Springer replacement. That's that's kind of what I think a lot of people see him as. Um, I mean, Carlos Correa is a free agent too, so you never know. Maybe he's the shortstop of the future. A lot to to like there. And I mean, when you talk about a, maybe a middle infield of the future, though, Jeremy Pena. We talked about the, the guys you've the Astros have faced in the spring training. He has a home run off Jacob Degrom in spring training, which I think is pretty great. He also popped one against Trevor Rogers and the Marlins. He actually leads the Astros in home runs in spring. And Jeremy Pena is a guy where I think. He's going to be a pretty quick riser. I don't think he'll start with the Skeeters, but I think he's shown enough in spring that I think he'll be at AAA at some point this year. What's nuts about Jeremy Pena, he actually went to University of Maine. And out of school, he really didn't get many offers. It wasn't until he actually went to a uh, kind of like a travel team tournament 
to where he met a coach that contacted University of Maine. They saw him, and they're like, yeah, let's get him out here. And oh my Lord, he turned out into a phenomenal prospect. He won Rookie of the Year in the Dominican League. His dad was a pro ball player for many years for the Indians. I mean, big kid, powerful legs, can really drive the ball deep. He's not a typical-looking shortstop. I mean, he is a massive stature type of yeah. person. But my Lord, I mean, he... He probably would be short, starting shortstop for the Astros if it wasn't for all those guys ahead of him with Correa, Pedro Leon, Bergman, Altuve. Yeah. But you're right. If he comes here, he is going to be an absolute star to watch. Yeah, I think as far as uh, position players go, he's definitely someone the Skeeters fans should have an eye on because he's going to be a guy you want to come and see. Um, and I think kind of, you know, as we round this segment out, a nice little roster battle going on. I think it really is the truest quote-unquote roster battles between Abraham Toro and Robel Garcia. We'll hear a little more about Garcia on our upcoming interview with Blum, but that, that's interesting because you got a switch hitter in Toro, a switch hitter in Garcia. They both play a little infield. Garcia plays outfield, which may honestly be the different, uh, the differentiating factor, but I think that's your true roster battle right there is that last spot on the bench here this kind of last couple of weeks of spring training. Yeah, we talked about both of those guys on the previous podcast, and – you're 100% right. It's going to be coming down to the wire with those guys. And not only that, maybe if they're one swinging a hotter bat, one's a little bit colder, you might see them intertwine between the pros and Constellation. Absolutely. And then seeing Abraham Torre on here, I'd be excited about that as well as <laughs> Robel Garcia. Well, we have got a treat here up next. When we come back, I interview former major leaguer and Astros TV caller commentator Jeff Blom. You're listening to Down in Sugarland. All right, we're now joined on Down in Sugarland by former major leaguer and current Astros color commentator Jeff Blum, who I know Blum, but I know you wish you're at spring training with the team right now, but you and uh, TK and Julia have been doing a really good job uh, providing cover coverage from back home, and I kind of wanted to start there, man. I mean, you, you're a broadcast veteran, but how difficult has it been calling all these games, you know, going back from last year and now leading up to this year from a monitor rather than being there in person? Uh, first of all, good to be on with you guys. I appreciate the opportunity, and you are exactly right in assuming the fact that it is not exactly the same as being there in person. You know, one of the unique things about being in spring training is the ability to get down there and kind of kind of be seen and uh, see some of the guys and create that relationship that you usually try and nurture throughout the course of the season to get some stories uh, to get, you know, tidbits or find out if a guy's hurting a little bit or see if uh, he's working on any techniques. So, we're kind of stuck in our own little bubble in the studio downtown as we're doing games from the road. And it's, it's not a lot of fun. You know, at first you kind of had the idea in 2020 that, you know, we're going to do our best to bring the game to everybody back home. And so you kind of, you know, bit the bullet and said, okay, we're going to make this as best we can. And fortunately I work with TK and Julia who are phenomenal humans to begin with. And then they're excellent broadcasters at the same time. So we really fed off of each other, and and I feel like we did a good job. So I appreciate you saying that. But uh, sitting in a, sitting in a cold, dark room where all you hear is your voice is not the idea of baseball for me. My idea of baseball is is hearing the crowd, feeding off the energy, and uh, creating a vibe that way. But uh, trying to create it by ourselves in a studio is not exactly a lot of fun. And of course, we miss. We miss so many different things. You know, there's so many different aspects and angles of baseball that we miss by sitting in a studio and watching it on a monitor. I'd rather be a, I'd rather be at a bar uh, sitting next to you guys having a beer talking about the game. Absolutely, <laughs> uh, hey, we got we got to pencil that one in at some point here down the road. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you, you know, so how familiar were you with the Skeeters? Um, you know, prior to finding out they were the AAA team, and then what was your I guess general reaction when you did find out that they were going to be the AAA affiliate for the Astros? 
Um, you know, my initial knowledge of the Sugarland Skeeters was, you know, the facility itself. Everything I heard before I, you know, I, I figured out it was an independent team was the facility was a, a great place to watch a game. Uh, you know, fans were always uh, energized by it. And then I've had a couple of chances since moving here in 2017 to actually check the ballpark out. And I can see why it's so uh, conducive to fans because uh, it's easy to get to. It's within the vicinity of Houston. So there's a lot of surrounding areas that have access to Sugarland. But then it was, you know, you found out it was an independent ball club and you start to hear about, uh, you know, some Daryl Ward and, you know, uh, Willie Tavares and some of these guys who are trying to either hang on to their career or extend their career going down and playing in Sugar Land. And it, it kind of intrigued me in that sense and kind of gave me the idea that baseball down there actually was pretty good. Even though those guys weren't on big league contracts or minor league contracts, I knew they still played hard. And, uh, you know, then it spiraled into an opportunity where the Astros and this unique minor league baseball environment that has been created over the last two years, that uh, the Astros had a chance to purchase it and become, make it, you know, their AAA stadium, which I think is, you know, in watching major league organizations work, I think the access of having a AAA team so close uh, really benefits the organization and it obviously benefits uh, the players with the ability uh, to play AAA and get to the big league level so quickly, uh, you know, in a logistical sense. But at the same time, I mean, how about the fans? If you're a fan of minor league baseball or an organization and you have the ability to be within, you know, a 30, 40 minute vicinity of a major league team and the AAA team, think about you know, that creates a, a certain loyalty with a fan in an organization that I think is incredibly unique. And uh, kudos to the Astros and Sugarland for making it happen. Yeah, I mean, we're pumped. I mean, you hit on the nail on the head there. It is unique. I, I believe only the St. Paul Saints have, like, are actually closer to their affiliate. So it's going to be a lot of fun. And, you know, kind of going down that road, I mean, you're obviously incredibly plugged into the Astros. Who are some guys, you know, whether they might not start at Sugarland, whether that's because they're at the Class A level or Double A, or maybe they'll be at the Major League level? Who are some guys that, might be here in Sugarland that you think are really exciting and fans are going to kind of want to, you know, they're worth the, worth the price of admission, I guess you could say. Oh man, I wish I had my binder with me because, <laughs> uh, you know, the, the Astros have actually done a good job of, of nurturing good young talent. Uh, you know, Chaz McCormick is a guy who has an opportunity to make the team. If he doesn't, he's going to be in AAA and he's going to be a guy who maybe bounces back and forth because he's, he's a valuable resource in the outfield. I'm just trying to go through, you know, position by position and, uh, you know, in the infield, a guy like Rebel Garcia is kind of, you know, splashed onto the scene as a utility guy. I'm not sure if he has a chance to make the big league team. I like him mm -hmm. just because he can play multiple positions. He can switch hit. He's very similar to a Marwin Gonzalez type. But if you get a chance to see him in, in Houston or in Sugarland, I think it would be a lot of fun to watch him because I think he's got big league potential. And then, of course, you guys and everybody who watches baseball, especially the Astros, knows that there are so many good young arms that you are eventually going to see get to Sugarland. And you're going to see guys moving between AA, you know, Corpus Christi to Sugarland, to Houston, back to Sugarland. Uh, you know, Luis Garcia is a guy who I think mm -hmm. has the potential to be in a rotation. Uh, we saw a couple of guys yesterday. Uh, man trying to think you know Brian Abreu is actually a guy who mm -hmm. really impressed me yesterday we've always been high on him but he's still a young 23 year old with an electric arm I don't know where he fits in the big leagues this year so I think AAA is really a play, place where he can hone his skills uh, that's a, a guy to keep an eye on 
And, you know, there's just uh, some other guys. Unfortunately, you missed out on Enoli Paredes. I think he's going to mm-hmm. be in the bullpen yeah. for the Astros. Andre Scrub is another guy who I think is going to be in the bullpen for the Astros. And it's kind of disappointing that you miss out on guys like Forrest Whitley, uh, you know, due to injury and things like that. But there are going to be plenty of guys that you hear us talking about on our on our Houston broadcast that you will see in Sugarland and eventually see and be able to follow from Sugarland to Houston. Yeah, we're definitely really excited about that. You're right. I mean, there were so many guys last year. I mean, like that, they just skipped that whole AAA level, and they did so well that like from Rivaldo to another guy, like they're they're not coming back. So, oh man, it's it's crazy. Um, you know, and I want to go in a different route here. I mean, there are girl dads, and then there's Jeff Blum. I mean, you got four daughters. <laughs> I know you've got triplets, uh, all daughters, and they're all, from what I understand, incredibly talented volleyball players. Um, I just wanted to know what is it like to be a father to four daughters, and maybe how has this last year almost been like a benefit for you because you probably got a little more time to spend at home with them. No, you're absolutely right. This this last year, as rough as it's been with the uh, the COVID issues, it, it really allowed me the opportunity to be around a little bit a little bit more often. But if you go back to, you know, 2003, my my oldest daughter was born, and then in 2005, I have triplets. So immediately, I've got four girls. And if you are a male, and you've ever dated a woman, or you are married to it, you you understand the financial obligation to a female. <laughs> and, <laughs> And immediately when I had the girls, you know, the dollar, it was like uh, something out of, you know, uh, a cartoon where the dollar signs are just going through <laughs> my head. And uh, that, that's the reason why I played as long as I could. And I'm broadcasting as long as I can, because I know that uh, there's going to be colleges and weddings to, to attend to. But, you know, the great part is this last year with COVID and not being able to travel and my girls volleyball season being pushed back a month. I was actually able to be a little more available and be a fan of what they're going out there and doing. And it just so turned out that my oldest who plays varsity out there at Seven Lakes uh, High School, you know, they go on a tear in district and lose one match. Uh, They get into the playoffs and they run through districts, they run through areas, and eventually they're playing in, you know, regional uh, tournaments to get to state. And my oldest daughter has, you know, she has an impact. She's a junior and she's an outside hitter. And had an opportunity to to have some key plays throughout this playoff run, and eventually we end up in uh, Dallas watching them play for the you know the Texas State Six A Championship, and I got to you know I was one of the first uh, people to hug her after they uh, clinched their state championship title. So it's been a really a blessing in the skies, but uh, really a great opportunity for me to uh, be be a father of of four amazing volleyball players and get a chance to watch them. Yeah, that's great, man. I love hearing like people who are able to kind of find those silver linings. I know it was a tough 2020 year. Um, so you got to you got to play in a World Series with the White Sox in 05. And I know you you got beaten over the head at by Astro fans, I'm sure, for that big home run you've hit. So we don't have to <laughs> continually. We yeah, yeah, we don't have to go over that. But I, I wanted to know. So you've also gotten to call two World Series now in 17 and 19. How do the nerves of getting ready to suit up for a game like in a World Series with the White Sox compare to getting ready to call one like you did with the Astros? You know what? Um, being able to plan one is unique in itself because that's something that as a, as a player or an athlete in any sport, that is something you, you ultimately work for. You know, it's, it's when you're 12 years old and you're in your backyard and you know, your mind and your imagination start to run wild and you're like, okay, I'm in the, I'm in the game seven of the world series. And you know, you're facing so-and-so and and you you hit a bomb, you know, to, to walk off the world series and, you know, be the next Joe Carter type thing. So the fact that you're able to, you know, live out a fantasy that you've shared with your family, you've shared with your friends, and you understand, 
you know, how much, you know, pain and sweat your family put into getting you to this point makes it that much more special. So as an athlete, it was incredible. It's the pinnacle of your sport. It's something that nobody will ever be able to take away from me, which I am eternally grateful for. But uh, unfortunately, the unique thing about broadcasting for regional sports is when they go to the playoffs, they go national and we get shut out. So my my covering the World Series and the playoff runs is kind of unique in the sense that, you know, I'm kind of available to everybody. And I've been on ESPN radio shows. I've been on ESPN TV shows. I've done several different, uh, you know, outlets when these teams are doing well that I get a chance to be a part of. So it was a lot of, you know, speculating and projecting and, and touting a great organization and a great team. And that's what was a lot of fun for me is to actually go on these shows, talk about these teams, have an expectation on them, and then sit in the stands and actually enjoy it as a fan and watch these guys go out there and do something that, you know, obviously I was able to do and appreciate. And that was probably the most fun. And and again, it goes back to almost feeling like a proud papa of what these guys were able to go out and do. Yeah, I totally, I totally blanked on that. I forgot. Yeah, you guys don't have you as a regional network. You don't get to call the games, which is t- kind of a bummer. But obviously, great to be on the national stage for for those guys. Um, kind of want to go to a different direction here. I, I couldn't help but notice that you are uh, on Cameo, which I think is awesome. And I kind of wish I had the pull to go on there <laughs> and have people wanting me to do that. <laughs> Fire it out there, man. You never know, right? <laughs> I hope so. I got to shoot my shot. Uh, but I wanted to know, like, what's the <laughs> what's the weirdest or maybe coolest camera Cameo request you've gotten so far? You know, that, that one actually, there's, it's been interesting because the creativity of fans, you know, knows no bounds. And, <laughs> and you know, I've, I've done the typical, you know, birthday shout outs, wedding anniversaries, but some of the more unique have been, you know, pumping guys up for their, for their bachelor parties, uh, you know, and things like that. But one of the most fun ones I've had are the, you know, a couple of the ones that I've done that I've had the most fun doing have actually been for fantasy baseball, you know, announcements or, you know, a fantasy baseball draft pick or even for fantasy football, you know, talking a little trash for somebody or, you know, announcing a pick and announcing, you know, that, uh, you know, that these, this league is coming into fruition and this is, you know, that's the announcing the beginning of it. So that's probably even the most fun and the most unique is being able to kind of, you know, get some information and put my own my own personal Jeff Blum spin on things and talk a little bit of trash <laughs> and have some fun in that way because there's no repercussion for me. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm just firing it out there for these people. <laughs> uh, so that's been a lot of fun. But, you know, there's actually been more than I thought, you know, at least a handful of times where I have had the opportunity to, you know, provide motivation for somebody who's battling cancer uh, somebody who's coming back from a devastating injury or, you know, there was actually, I got an email, you know, through my website from a guy who I did a cameo for that is fighting alcoholism. And I mean, you know, for, for them to say, you know, it, it literally said, thank you for inspiring me every day. I watch the cameo every day as I fight alcoholism. And I was just, I was blown away by the fact that that's actually another great way that something like as simple as cameo can have an impact on somebody's life. So, to be honest, as, as cheesy as cameo can be, I don't I don't take it for granted. That's really cool, man. That's a great uh, great story right there to end that one. Um, so I wanted to, you retired in 2012, and if I have it right, you know you went right into the booth in 13. Did you like when when did you decide that you wanted the, your next phase of your career to be as a broadcaster? And uh, did that have like any effect on the timing of your retirement? <laughs> 
I decided to become a broadcaster when they offered me the job. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. No, it, it was one of those things, uh, you know, at the, at the end of my career in 2012, I was with the Arizona Diamondbacks and I, I felt like I literally had body parts falling off. And I finally got the hint that, you know, my career was ending. And fortunately throughout my career, I'd never said no to an interview. You know, I kind of took a, a little bit of pride in the fact that, you know, uh, reporters and, you know, TV cameras and radio shows would come ask me questions because provided them a unique, different soundbite, not the typical day. Uh, you know, so I was talking to Darren Erstead. I had a chance to talk to Mark Loretta, Brad Osmus, guys who stayed in the game. And my question to them was, why did you get back in so quickly? And the comment was, once you're out, it's so hard to get back in. And that's where I kind of had the intention at the end of 2012 is to try and stay in the game somehow. So I was greasing every wheel that I had, uh, you know, whether it be front office, coaching, uh, or getting into the, you know, broadcasting and things like that. I had an opportunity in 2013 to go interview with the Astros because that was right around the time Jim Crane bought the team and Milo was retiring and they were, uh, they were firing the other two guys that were doing radio. So there were three opportunities, I thought, in radio. Uh, you know, Jim Deshays moved to the Chicago Cubs. Bill Brown was pulling back on games and only doing home games. So I knew there were two opportunities there. And I just kind of wanted to get my name out in the uh, in the atmosphere of baseball to let people know that I was interested in staying in the game. And it just so happened that uh, I, I crushed the interview, convinced the right people, and I got a phone call saying that uh, they wanted to hire me to do the road games. And I jumped at it. And it was probably the best decision I've ever made because I truly, honestly, absolutely 100% love my job with the Houston Astros. Yeah, no, we're, we're thankful you did. And I mean, it's awesome. You were able to find a kind of a broadcast home, like right as you got out of your, your career like that. Um, just had two more here for you, Jeff. I mean, first, uh, I find it so interesting that you got a chance to begin your career with the Montreal Expos. I find everything about the Expos interesting for some reason. I mean, just because obviously the, the history and now they're no longer a team. But do you have any cool artifacts or memories just from being able to play in Montreal while you, while you were out there? Um, as far as artifacts, I still have a ton of, uh, not a ton, but I still have all, you know, most of my uniforms and every once in a while, you know, we've moved so many times that I still pull out, you know, a random t-shirt or a pair of workout shorts that are kind of embarrassing because, you know, they're not nearly as nice or as good as they are now <laughs> and, uh, they, they don't fit anymore, but, uh, you know, some of the cool things that I do have, you know, it's, it's all obviously the, the pictures and some of the video I have, but I think one of the, the most enduring memories that I do have of Montreal is, uh, and you guys have probably seen this picture. It's a picture of Vladimir Guerrero with his son, Vlad Jr. on the field, kind of tipping their cap before uh -huh. a game. And that one sticks with me because I was on the field for that. Nice. And, you know, trying to explain to my daughters that I played for a team that doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> and then pointing to Vlad Jr. on the screen and going, you know, that guy right there who's hitting bombs in the big leagues and is going to be a, you know, a perennial all-star like his dad. My wife is in the tunnel flipping this, this young man at three years old and watching what he was doing. <laughs> so we had an idea that Vlad, Vlad Jr. was going to be somebody because obviously his dad was so good, but we actually had an opportunity to watch him, you know, be, be raised around the game. So that was a lot of fun, but uh, I, I have a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of emotion when it comes to Montreal, just because it was where I broke in. Uh, you know, it was a foreign country to me. They all spoke French. You know, it was a unique atmosphere where you got to 
work your way through the minor leagues with all of these guys and break into the big leagues with them. So there was a unique connection to all those guys on that team that I was with because we were on, you know, single A, double A, triple A and, and the big leagues together before we moved on to other, other organizations. But, uh, you know, I will always have a fondness in my heart for Montreal and I would not be upset if it came back into uh, the rotation because that was a great spot to be. Yeah, I mean, and just A plus unis too. I love the the jersey kit they had going. Yeah, they'll never be able to rematch, you know, match what they did up there. You know, I, yeah. I, I, it's amazing, you know, that they did have such a unique logo. It's like it, they actually put effort into that thing, and it turned out great. It certainly did. Yeah, that's crazy with the Vladdy Junior story. I love that. Well, I just wanted the last one here. I mean, you, you kind of touched on it. You're a Cal Golden Bear, and I'm a California myself. I think that's an ideal place for anyone to spend four years and get a degree. Um, and <laughs> interestingly enough, there's a a Cal Golden Bear in the system, a guy we might see here at some point in Sugar Land, that's Corey Lee, the catcher, first-round pick a few years back. Is there any kind of special bond you maybe have been able to develop with him? And uh, kind of what's your overall impression of him? I know he's one of the you know top 10 prospects here in the organization right now. Yeah, we actually had a chance to talk to him for Astroline uh, a couple, about a month ago, and it was great for me to be able to connect with him because, like you, everything I saw and read was just through the internet or it was through a video. So it was great to actually you know kind of get your, your head wrapped around around and meet this guy and see what he was all about. But, uh, you know, one thing about I learned in that in that conversation is, is he's a pretty good athlete and he's taking some ground balls at third base, you know, moving around the infield, maybe exploring the, the idea of being versatile or moving out from behind home plate. Um, I think catching is a unique position this in this day and age with as hard as guys throw. But I also think it's a benefit to maybe have a guy who went to Cal and understands, you know, the more cerebral side of playing the game. And it really came out in the interview and talking with them. Obviously, he's very well spoken, but he understands, you know, how hard pitching is and what he has to do behind the plate to make the pitcher better. And that's one thing I think, you know, isn't talked about enough is how catchers are basically behind home plate, not only to make some of these pitches look good, but they're back there as psychologists and, 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 and encouragers of these pitchers trying to get them to be the best they possibly can be. And I think that's one skill that's highly underrated, but it seems like Corey has a pretty good handle on how to go out there and, and handle pitchers. I also like the fact that he tells stories about playing with Andrew Vaughn, who was a number one pick out of Cal the same year. He was the number one pick for the Astros. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he spoke about taking advantage of an opportunity because they were all there looking at Andrew Vaughn and he decided to work a little bit harder on his offense. He started to crush the ball and he was obviously in a good batting order, part of the batting order with Cal to put up good numbers. And he did, and he got recognized for it. Now he's, you know, a number one pick. So I thought that was a kind of a cool story. And one thing I've learned in my years, being a professional baseball player and, and connecting with other golden bears, there's a, there's a really special, you know, connection between those guys, because we all understand that being, you know, being a student athlete itself is extreme in every sense, wherever you go to school. And then you add the academics of a, mm -hmm. of a university of California to that. And there's, you know, there's, a, there's a certain amount of respect between guys who went to Cal and, and, and tried to get as good grades as they got and play in the PAC 12 conference and compete at Cal. But it's a special place. I still go back there every time we go through Oakland. Uh, you know, I go over to campus and have uh, breakfast with my with my college coach, Bob Milano. He, he's still, uh, you know, hobbling around. But uh, I get back on campus every chance I get. Uh, and there's a, there's a special bond in uh, players who come out of Cal.
Yeah, that's a great point too. I don't know if a lot of people who don't live maybe like in in California would know that's like an impossible school to get into. So it is. It's, it's oh man, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> truly, it's getting worse. It's amazing. I can't believe. Okay, well, real quick, who's your? Give me your favorite Cal football player of all time, then, before we get out of here. Oh man, uh, Sean Dawkins. There we go. Nicely done. All right. Well, that, Jeff, thank you so much for joining us, man. We really appreciated the chat here, and uh, we'll have to get TK on at some point to complete this little broadcast uh, booth hat trick. And uh, just can't wait to see her. I constantly feel sometime this year, man. Really appreciate it. No, I think it would be great to get down there and watch some ball games at Sugarland. I think everybody else should too, but it would be an opportunity to get down there and meet you guys. It would be a blast. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. That's Jeff Blount. We'll be back here in down in Sugarland in just a moment. Looking to relocate? Then contact Nick DeRose for any of your real estate needs in the Dallas Metroplex area. For more information, give them a call at 469-283-8360. DeRose Dallas Realty. Cowboy by nature. Agent by trade. That was a great chat with Jeff Blum and a guy who obviously is very well-spoken. Um, we saw him go from his career right as a player literally less than a year later as a broadcaster and just loved chatting with him. Brandon, what were some of the things you uh, you took away from that? Right off the bat, when he was talking about having to call games in just a lonely room and all by yourself and how awkward it is to be speaking out and just hearing your voice, I can relate to that. I've had to work a couple of broadcasts where the uh, the play-by-play guys are just in a room and they're not at the ballpark and you can kind of feel a lack of chemistry and that's something that I know has to be such a hard adjustment for that I can't imagine how lonely it is and especially on a much bigger scale calling Astros games yeah and especially for a guy like Jeff Blum who, who played 14 years in the majors not being at the ballpark probably irks him maybe more than what anybody else I mean that's gonna be tough well it's extremely awkward it's no different than right now be in your living room mute the tv and call the game it's so hard to do and you just kind of lose the atmosphere when you're there you're a little bit more enthralled you feel a part of it to when you're away from the game calling it on a screen it's really hard to do and he oh, makes yeah. it look easy and uh, yeah I mean don't get don't get it twisted I mean to do that from a monitor is not easy I mean you're thinking oh you're seeing the same thing it's like no you're not you're definitely not. You have monitors to help you while you're also watching the game in person. So to go from one to the other is pretty difficult. And I, I thought it interesting, too. I mean, a guy like Jeff Blum, I mean, he, he said he played a couple extra years because, you know, he has four daughters and he's got a wife and he's got to make sure that he can provide for them as, you know, he's got weddings to plan for, colleges to plan for. I'm sure his daughters are all going to want to play college volleyball. They're incredibly talented. I thought that was pretty interesting as well. Oh, his wedding budget must be three seasons net worth. <laughs> I mean, oh my Lord, so many daughters. But I've actually seen his daughter play at uh, Seven Lakes up in the Katy area. He's not messing around, man. She's an absolute beast. Outside hitter, she can bring the pain coming down. It was fun doing her games because when I read the back of the jersey, I was like, Blum, huh? And then uh, the guy I was calling the games with, he was like, oh, that's Jeff Blum's daughter. Little I know, full circle, he'd be on the pod. Yeah, that's great. No, and I, I, I'm happy to hear that he was able to kind of go see some more games this year. I mean, we hear there years stories of people that, I mean, that kind of this year actually helped him in some ways, you know, 2020 being a pandemic year, and it seemed like that kind of helped him a little bit going to see them play a little more. I think my favorite part of the interview was how you beefed up his play-by-play uh, -play career by giving him credit for calling World Series games. That was pretty awesome. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I, you know, I... I did not realize that, and you know, I won't disclose what team I root for, but I, I grew up rooting for a team that didn't make the playoffs a lot. So it didn't occur to me that, oh, yeah, the TV guys don't actually call the games. And you know what the worst part was? was like, I'm, like, I'm running that question. I'm like, you know, good for you, Ryan. That's a good <laughs> that's a good question. You did a good job, buddy. And then, like, it's, oh, never mind. Throw that one away. <laughs> you know right now he's probably like, 
I bet a lot of people don't know that fact, and he's just updating his resume right now. <laughs> Called World Series games in 17 oh, and 19. Man. That was an absolute hilarious part. But, I mean, interesting guy. I mean, has yeah. walk of life from everything that he's doing, from fatherhood to being a player to calling games. I mean, just somebody that we need to have on again to go through that 05 World Series. I know that's taboo to talk about, but I would love to know – you know, the mindset of going into World Series, you know, is it how much different is it from a playoff game to game one of the World Series? Is it an atmosphere thing or is it just a mindset type of situation? I think he's somebody that could bring great perspective for it. Right. And also is Frank Thomas. You got to play with Frank Thomas. I think that's another, we can, that's another rabbit hole. We can go down another another time. And also he said, you know, we're, we're getting beers apparently. So we'll have, <laughs> we'll have to we'll have to reconvene at some point. I heard that spot. I think uh, <laughs> the next one's going to be on us to try to cover some of his daughter's budget there for him. So yeah, they got the wedding budget down. And also one little quick note, which I didn't, we didn't get to the interview. He actually is um, immortalized with a statue at, at the White Sox Stadium. Um, it's not just him. It's a statue of a couple of players, but. That 05 World Series, I'm like, God, man, that, that's so cool that Jeff Blum, you know, he's got a statue. He goes to that ballpark. Obviously, on the road, he'll go there. Maybe not this year, but in, in years past, he gets to go and see himself a, con a, a statue. That, that's pretty cool. Yeah, there's a lot more Jeff Blum stories that are untapped, and hopefully he starts to uncork them here on our podcast. Absolutely. Well, we're going to finish out episode number three of Down in Sugar Land with our first ever Tales from the Control Room. Baseball is back at Constellation Field, and full-season ticket deposits are now available. May 20th is just around the corner, and you won't want to miss exciting baseball this summer as the Skeeters enter their first season as the AAA affiliate of the Houston Astros. For more information, visit SugarlandSkeeters.com and be one of the first to reserve a seat. Okay, let's end this episode number three with Tales from the Control Room. <laughs> Our first ever episode is going to center around me, none other oh. than me. Yeah, I know, right? And uh, we'll take you back to June 2018. A young Ryan was interning with the Skeeters, just a young whippersnapper, didn't know it was in front of him. And all of a sudden, our mascot approached me and the rest of the interns and told me that we were going to be a part of an HEB skit on top of the dugout. I think it was during the third or fourth inning. And they were going to have like a grocery list item. And we were going to, I was in a banana suit. We had a crab. We had all kinds of different groceries. Well, Swatson ditched us at the beginning of this quote unquote uh, vegetable skit. And all of a sudden we're left up on top of the dugout by ourselves in a dance competition. Yeah. Shane had come in and just started saying like, we expect you to start dancing right now. It's a dance competition. Go. And that was it. I was petrified. I was actually doing the switching of that game. So basically the switching is I'm telling the cameras what to shoot and I make the cuts that you see on the video board. And that's always the hardest skit to do. Now we're told ahead of time what's going to happen in the control room. Obviously not anybody in the field knows, but I need to know so I can get the right people on camera. But what makes it tough is Swatson just immediately runs off. And then you just have a bunch of interns who are staring at each other, all trying to say to me, like, wait, is this real? Do we have to do this? <laughs> and they break out in the most awkward dances and nobody better than you. I mean, yeah, kudos to Swatson. I did not see that coming. And yeah, I mean, I, I broke up the dice move. I don't know if you've seen the movie Knocked Up with uh, Seth Rogen and Jonah Hill. I went to the dice move early and often. You That's went all I had. straight to the dice move. <laughs> like as soon as Swatson was off of the <laughs> dugout, you went, oh, I, mean, I guess I'm going dice and just started shaking. It. And the best, too, is I love how you release where you're like at the ankles, too. So yeah. you're, you're dicing it and dicing yeah. it low. Yeah, it was a low dice and uh, went to a little Irish river dance at one point and um, 
I don't know what your obsession is with the river dance, man. Like, I mean, you, it's you know what it is. I saw Chad Ochocinco. I don't know if it's Chad Johnson or Ochocinco at this point. He did it after scoring a touchdown one time, and I'm like, man, that looked cool. It was with the Bengals. Did you practice it? Have you absolutely? Practiced that oh man, look at the mirror. I'm in front of that. I love that. I love that. Yeah, the difference is Chad Johnson is celebrated on on Sundays while you're dressed in a banana suit, and you're like, <laughs> it's gonna look the same. It's gonna look great, right? Well, some person in the first row just started yelling at me. You suck, banana. <laughs> and I was like, man, well, what, like continually yelled at me. And I'm like, God, I know how these players feel now. This is not nice. I was like, I did not expect to be heckled as the banana. I didn't even know I was going to be dancing. I mean, to be called out on your dance moves when a gingerbread man was right next to you, <laughs> try shaking it and not really a dance moves. Uh, you know, you you had to have really have sucked. <laughs> I thought I carried us. Wasn't the ginger man doing the uh, like the butter churn or whatever that thing's yeah, called? Where you're kind of like, like that, stirring yeah. the pot a little bit, and he was just doing it over and over. And I love how you get haggled. You suck, banana. I know. And then you come into the control room wearing a banana suit, and you're like, man, this guy in the front row is just letting me have it, <laughs> just screaming at me. You suck, banana. I, I mean, just, he was like five feet in front of me. He was like looking me in the eye. Like, you suck. I'm like, I I guess I suck. Like, I don't know what to say. And that is a quote that we. Can continue to say in the control room this these 100 anytime somebody screws up on another team that like bumbles and fumbles in air we immediately yell out like you suck banana <laughs> it's so much more fun to do it uh yeah i mean i uh jessica munoz our, our field host i've ever heard saying it too i think she was the only one that like heard it she was like yeah man they were giving him the business down there <laughs> they really let him have it and there's literally like seven other people on top I know. of the there that was a lobster you. uh you know there could have been so many other i guess choices that could have yeah but you know bananas man I mean, you suck, banana. Yeah. I guess it's set out. Well, that's going to end episode number three here on Down in Sugarland. Thank you so, no so much for listening. Until next time, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. You've been listening to Down in Sugarland.